don't give it like a the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert. Today, graphic and information design as a political instrument with Ahmed Barclay. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Ahmad Barclay, who is uh, an architect and an information designer uh, and a partner at uh, Visualizing uh, Impact, uh, which will be the, the main topic of our conversation today. Uh, hello Ahmed. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today in the, well actually in the conference room of uh, Visualizing Impact, uh, in a very particular it's a uh, co-working space, we don't quite have our own oh, well, <laughs> <you know. laughs> conference room yet. So, uh, so I mean, uh, so we, we call it Visualizing Impact because uh, it's actually, it, it actually uh, recently uh, uh, broadened, it, broadened its scope of, uh, of action, but it used to, it, maybe people are more used to the... Yeah, to people the are probably better aware of uh, the project Visualizing Palestine, uh, which now sort of comes under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we before we jump right in this topic of uh, of uh, this uh, data analyzing and the hierarchizing and uh, visualizing, um, maybe to to begin the conversation, uh, I think uh, this week you were in Amman in Jordan in Jordan to uh, for a very particular workshop for the Palestinian Museum. Uh, maybe as an introduction, would you would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Because I think that's that's a fascinating project. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a different project for us. Um, I mean, uh, probably the majority of the projects we've worked on to date, uh, and particularly the ones relating to Palestine, have been static infographics. Um, and basically, we're, we're starting a collaboration now with uh, the Palestinian Museum uh, on basically a, a timeline of Palestinian history, or that's the kind of working title. Uh, and the idea is to um, deliver uh, basically a, um, an interactive experience based on Palestinian history. Uh, but the challenge, I think, is, is to kind of deliver that to a very broad audience. So it's not necessarily limited just to um, people who are, already have a strong interest and in, in background or um, people who are academics or whatever um, who want to kind of get this very detailed understanding of, of history, but actually to provide uh, entry points um, that uh, can bring anyone uh, who has even the vaguest interest in the subject uh, and give them an idea of not just, you know, this kind of series of catastrophes that have faced, you know, the Palestinian as the victim... Of, of you know Zionist colonization, British, uh, Ottoman, whatever it happens to be, uh, but in fact tells this kind of the story of uh, the Palestinian people um, in a in a in a different kind of way that talks more about um, you know about resilience, humor, the kind of the much kind of broader kind of fabric of human experience. Um, and also uh, that, uh, how would I say, um, you know, that, that provides a kind of audio-visual experience, something that's uh, 
has different kind of layers and that people can find ways to, to through this experience that aren't just chronological, that aren't just, you know, this event happened and this event happened. So it's, it's a very ambitious project. Um, I think we're all kind of pulling in the same direction on it, but it's, it's definitely, uh, it's going to be a big challenge to, to, to kind of, uh, you know, make this thing happen. But I think we're all excited about it and slightly, uh, uh, yeah, slightly overwhelmed by like the, the kind of scope of it. But um, because obviously, you know, history is such a subjective thing to start with and that, you know, the kind of responsibility of telling history is, is uh, um, it's a difficult one that, that you know, to, to, you know, who's the guardian of what's, what is the story of history, you know? Um, and it's always, you know, they always say history is written by the winners is the cliche, you know, that, um, and the thing with Palestinian history for so long, it's kind of been the counter narrative to Zionist history. I mean, I, I guess I kind of went into that idea that it's, you know, that it becomes this story of victimhood. And so there's, there's a lot of challenges involved. It's a very kind of complex project. Um, but anyway, there's, and I, I think that, and also the crucial other thing that we're looking at is this idea of something that's, that's not exactly non-linear. So it's not just this, you know, that it's not just not chronological, but be, different people can take a different route through the stories. So anyway, that's mm. kind of, but I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a very much a, what we are going to talk about today, because, um, we always tend to have this imaginary of, of, uh, of data, information, all, all those things as a very uh, um, objective reading, whereas, whereas uh, some, quite often the, the most interesting work and vision and narrative that comes out of it are actually visions that uh, incorporate their own subjectivity, embrace their own subjectivity of those, of those data, of this data. Mm. And, um, and so that brings us to, to visualizing Palestine and visualizing impact in general. Um, uh, I, I, I guess we're going to talk about visualizing Palestine uh, throughout this conversation and maybe finish with uh, what it means that it, it changed a little bit its name and uh, its broadening scope. Um, but so, so maybe before we even talk about any of the documents you've been produced uh, throughout those last, uh, what is it, three, three years? Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, we should talk maybe about the method and maybe uh, the reasons that um, originated uh, this project. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, maybe go for it. Um, so yeah, the, the project originated, um, uh, it was really, you know, the experience of uh, Ramzi Jab, who's one of the co-founders of, um, I mean, his family's from Ramallah and it was his experience of going back there um, when he was uh, curating an event uh, at TEDx Ramallah. Um, and it was really the first time he'd spent, you know, significant, you know, the best part of a year of his life there. Um, and finding that, you know, even as a Palestinian who is, um, you know, felt he had some idea of what the history and what the story was of Palestine, to, to kind of go there and see it, you know, starkly for himself you know to see you know the the the, the occupation of the west bank in particular uh, and to realize um how much information was in the public domain in the form of uh, ngo reports 
um, UN, you know, uh, various uh, UN organizations, commissions, whatever, that have produced reports, produced data that so clearly, you know, says what's, what's, you know, the the nature of occupation and the, the kind of um, the abuses, the, the, you know, um, to see that, but then to realize that, that this, you know, that, that still in the media, there can be this narrative of, uh, well, you know, there's one side and there's the other side. Um, so I think he felt that there was the, the possibility, you know, seeing already the, you know, the growing use of, uh, infographics and data visualization, um, and thinking how that could be applied using this data from you know, these organizations to talk about the issues that um, are facing Palestinians. Um, and not just in Palestine, uh, by the way. So, you know, that's the kind of starting point, but it's not the ending point. Um, so, so that was the starting point. And uh, basically, I, I got involved, um, I mean, actually also through, through TEDx Ramallah in a way, because I was... Um, I got involved in uh, broadcasting the event in London, where I was at the time, um, and we got talking, and um, you know, with with Ramzi and also Jumana Jebri, who's the the other co-founder of, of the project, um, and we ended up, uh, you know, uh, getting on, and, and and I agreed to kind of come to, and it was initially actually in Amman we started the project. Um, to, to start working on it and at the, at the time we had another designer with us as well um, and then some other people in the network like um, you know, Polypod, the design office in, in Lebanon that's done a lot of uh, the graphics to date the kind of front end design um, and that was kind of it at the beginning and uh, we were really kind of making it up as we went along none of us had you know, worked on infographics before as such um, and I found, you know, we were initially all trying to research, all trying to kind of you know, visualize and design and whatever. Um, and I kind of found that, that my natural role ended up being this kind of point between data and, you know, narrative design and data visualization. Um, so I ended up doing a, a lot of a lot of the processes that other than the kind of front end graphic design, I mean. Um, I'm being an architect. I'm not quite trained in uh, you know, typography and layout and things like this, but I can kind of chart, you know, have a go at it. I can relate um, to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so so I so I'm doing a, a lot of the the kind of bits and pieces behind there, and, and it kind of formalized into something like a, you know an information designer role, um, which we sometimes call information architect, which is kind of a. Maybe started as a joke at the uh, the fact that in the, uh, the UK you have to be a registered architect to call yourself any kind of architect. I think, um, but actually there are people who have that name, <laughs> so so that's one of the names that sometimes sticks. Um, so yeah, that that's what I I've been doing in the process, and really uh, what we found as as we've gone through it is that there was this uh, desire for this kind of content out there. It was like there was like a ready audience that wanted to 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 see and share this content mm-hmm. um, and, and as you say the, the content as, as the data already exists like it's out there like I I receive maybe twice a week an email from the uh, the UN OCHA like the Office mm. for Coordination of Human Affairs in, uh, in uh, the Occupied Territories yeah and uh, 
they have fantastic reports, uh, very, yeah. very thorough. But once again, it's like you receive maybe two or three per day, per, per week uh, mm. in the last in the last uh, military operation in Gaza. Yeah, uh, I, you receive twice a day, and uh, so so somehow, from what I understand from visualizing Palestine, it's taking the core uh, of of this information and and maybe uh, trying to show show it in a through a medium that is uh, immediately understandable and assimilable. Yeah, I think I think that's something that's interesting. I mean, OCHA actually, I mean, they they kind of go beyond just dry reports. They actually do produce maps. They yeah, produce the maps charts are fantastic. And, yeah, but I think it's it's something like there's a there's a level of you know the, the complexity. Uh, there are so many layers, I guess, if they if they. Um, Produce the you know maps of closure of uh, the West Bank or Gaza. There's always so many layers there. There's there's uh, you know the the borders, the the roads, the the checkpoints, the uh, um, you know the land taken over by settlements. There's mm. there's so many layers that it's just hard to comprehend. And even looking at those you know this area A, area B, area C of the West Bank, it's just just looking at that map, it tells you there's something strange going on here, but I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? It's kind of, uh, so I guess we're trying to, to, to kind of simplify that. And the other thing is, you know, this thing of like, there's new things every day, I guess we never quite set ourselves up as, as a, you know, data journalism outfit. So we're not, you know, trying to cotton onto every latest story and, and try and render it in visually. I think what we're trying to do instead is to, is to, key into these these major themes and maybe sometimes it hinges on something that's happening but it should have a relevance that stretch, stretches beyond that mm-hmm. so um so there are a few graphics like that that we've we've produced uh, we've produced a timeline of um you know violence of, of uh, is how many israelis killed by palestinians how many palestinians killed by israelis and just showing this kind of dramatic difference in, in the numbers over time. Um, and I think that that maintained a relevance beyond, even though the kind of the time ended in a particular place and started in a particular place, people can see that that's a rendition of, um, you know, a much longer story, you know. Um, and I think this is another thing in, in the case of um, maybe, especially if you look at this region, what sets Palestine apart or Palestine-Israel apart from much of the rest of the region is that the situation is actually weirdly static that it's it's you know the 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 kind of the overall dynamics haven't changed a whole lot in a hundred years almost you know there's this kind of very clear kind of process of slow and slow process of colonization that sometimes speeds up you know in you know in 1948 the nakba 1967 the the next the the six days war that you know these are where where it becomes more visible but there's always been this slow process of dispossession and colonization um and displacement that's been going on so it's in a way that that i guess you know these are the kind of stories we're, we're telling through the graphics and also this increasing process of you know segregation and this hierarchy of um you know where everyone falls under israeli control um, that ultimately you have this, you know, what they call the one-state reality, where where you have, you know, different uh, strata of um, um, identity, uh, like a kind of apartheid between, 
you know, Jewish Israelis at the top. Although even that group arguably is split into <laughs> into to a hierarchy. Uh, you know, uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel, uh, Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, and then East Jerusalem, who at times even face a worse situation than than, than almost anyone. Uh, and then you have the refugees who are also part of this because the entire system of of, um, uh, of IDs um, for Palestinians first, the you know Palestinians in Israel starts with the the idea of saying these people are allowed to stay, but no one else. You know, so it's it's a it's a method of exclusion. It's not necessarily method of inclusion at all. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean. Uh Based on what you uh, just said, uh, I think that that also insists on uh, one fundamental point in how how we uh, come to talk uh, about Palestine outside of Palestine because that's that's, that's basically what we're talking. <coughs> Sorry, what we're talking about, and somehow if we if we look at uh, if we look at media's uh, the press that would be. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't like this word, but maybe if we call it the liberal press or something. Mm. Like that, I mean, I'm thinking of the Guardian or Le Monde or uh, this, this kind of newspaper. Uh, yeah. Uh, not the New York Times, but it's already. Uh, but. Uh, uh, well, it's better than some. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I, but um, but if we if we if we consider if we consider those uh, those. Um, uh, I'm sorry. If if we consider um, the the way those media are 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 maybe talking about sometimes the, the Palestinian uh, um, struggle, um, it will always be based on um, events like things that happened. Uh, hmm. Someone gets beaten uh, beaten to death in uh, in West Jerusalem or uh, uh, or in East Jerusalem. Uh, so, there is, there is uh, there, the Israeli government decide to build 500 more uh, uh, colonies, um, and um, and um, all all those kind of very event things that, that or or even uh, for that matter uh, as all the all the the massacre perpetuated in Gaza. Mm. Uh, so there is a, there is a sort of uh, emotion that is created by those events, yeah. but that's a very evanescent emotion from the readers of this press. Mm. And what what we ought to talk about instead, or or in addition, I don't know, is is really the structural violence that you were describing. And I think I think when you mm. I mean the, what you were explaining is the hierarchy of people living in 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 Palestine. And I mean maybe we should say Palestine as a as a historical region, so that we don't need to say Israel Palestine. Constant, yeah, they, they uh, uh, you, you, there's a there's a graphic from uh, visualizing Palestine that explains that very well, where each um, each uh, um, status uh, like citizen status is, is described, and what are, what are the possibility for this person to to do. So we'll we'll add it to the podcast, obviously, for people to 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 understand. What okay. we're talking about, but uh, could you could you maybe address this uh, this um, difference between what I would call spectacular violence mm. and normalized violence, which is which is much more uh, at work on a daily basis, uh, normalized violence? Um, yeah, I guess so. Um, it's I mean I I guess I don't necessarily define it on in, in kind of academic terms, but 
I guess I can talk about this kind of, these kind of ideas. Um, I should say, I mean, in terms of terminology in Palestine and Israel and Israel Palestine, or, I mean, I, I guess the, the the value of a term like Israel Palestine is to say, look, um, that this is one kind of entity, basically. So, I mean, people, uh, you know, historically, it's it's it was what became called Palestine under the British mandate. So, you know, these borders were defined by effectively negotiation between the British and the Zionists and the French in the northern border. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of, it's an interesting uh, kind of question of how, how, how you, you know, what is the kind of historic Palestine even, mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, that you have... Um, you know, I guess a good good thing to read would be Rashid Khalidi, the or Rashid Khalidi, uh, if you want to kind of understand the kind of roots of you know Palestinian identity. Um, but anyway, sorry, that's a, that's kind of a divergence. But uh, I, I suppose I, I insist on this on this unique term also because of my my fear for the current policies right now that are being mm. undertaken. Greater Israel kind of policies. Well, the, no. yeah, but I mean for for the. For, the, for what's being done by the Palestinian Authority to mm. have a, a, a state, a Palestinian state, which, True, yeah. which, I'm, which I'm always very... Yeah, and this is the other thing, is I guess it's <coughs> ambiguous when you talk about Palestine, it can mean, you know, the, the occupied, the part occupied in 1967, it mm. can mean, you know, this entire, you know, uh, Israel-Palestine area, yeah, so, anyway, we'll, we'll continue to say Palestine and sort of mean historic Palestine, yeah. Israel-Palestine. Um, so anyway, the, this this question of, of the the kind of structural violence versus this uh, spectacular violence, um, you know, it, it, for the majority, it is this day to day kind of structural violence, and I think um, you know it's it's not um, the things that actually happen to people every day, but the things that that they feel the real threat could happen to them. So. Um, one issue is this idea of you know the check the system of checkpoints in the West Bank. Now, as I understand it, it's, a, it's a, actually a while since I've been, but on a day to day basis, um, apart from the fact that you know you're not necessarily being able to use the most direct roads, the the, the checkpoints don't necessarily provide a, a, a particularly meaningful barrier to day to day movement, um, but. Because of people's experiences of you know the second intifada, um, at which time you know it could be days before you can travel between particular areas. There, there would be you know arbitrary, complete closures of uh, you know between West Bank cities, um, and that even when you know checkpoints were open, you were waiting hours and hours and hours to to, to cross these things. Um, now that situation I think remains for Palestinians entering Jerusalem, for example, through the wall. Um, but traveling through the West Bank, um, you know, on a, on a normal day, on the average day, it's not a major imposition on your, your movement. But people have already rearranged their lives in a way that, that, that minimizes their, their, their need to, to travel between cities. Mm-hmm. So their, their, their life mostly exists within, you know, Hebron or uh, Nablus or Ramallah or you know, Bethlehem or whichever city. Um, and trying to minimize this 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 need need to travel so it's this kind of uh, someone described it as um, 
learned helplessness, I think, was the, was the kind of metaphor they used, mm. which is this idea that you... Um, I can't remember the name of the, the theorist who, who proposed it, but it's this idea that you, you basically learn it's not... It's just not worth it. You know, even if the reality is you can do this, you don't want to... You know, you know I, I've got bad experiences, I don't want to do that. So it's it's this idea that it's this this constant threat of this kind of very you know violent um, imposition on your daily life um, that means you you rearrange the way, the way you work and you kind of keep you know you occupy yourself you know your your the occupation is in 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 the mind you know i think this was you know the uh, occupation of the mind i think that's uh, something that alessandro and sandy and uh, alessandro and sandy yeah, so yeah, like decolonizing yeah, architecture, I think they spoke about that a lot. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah. But maybe to, to give to give an example for people who've never been to, to Palestine and to the West Bank in particular, mm. uh, Ramallah and Bethlehem are like something like 15 kilometers away, and it takes for, if if you use the Palestinian means of transportation, it takes in, in good days mm. about 45 minutes to, to do those 15 kilometers. Uh, yeah, so and, it's, it's, and it's because in this case you're you're you know not being able to travel through Jerusalem. Mm. Or so through. you're you're obliged to use very convoluted systems of roads. Yeah. Whereas whereas if you would have a, a car with an Israeli plate on it, it would take you uh, probably less than ten minutes, and yeah. uh, and uh, and that's that's one of the aspect of visualizing Palestine has been has been showing actually in a in a map. Yeah. Maybe so we can describe the map actually. So, I mean, there's actually a couple of graphics we worked on which, which talk about this kind of idea. One is uh, on segregated roads. So it's the the number of roads in the West Bank that are inaccessible or restricted to Palestinians. And like I say, that, that you know, it's, it's really this threat of restriction. So the restricted road is one that has checkpoints along it or checkpoints onto and off of it. And, and there's a threat that it may just get shut down. Um, the main roads that are completely off limits to Palestinians, apart from those that are on the other side of the wall, so Jerusalem, etc., uh, is the Jordan Valley, which is, you know, to all extents and purposes, pretty much off limits to Palestinians, uh, which is quite a large, you know, the, the largest kind of flat area of the West Bank, amounting to something like 10 to 15 percent of the entire West Bank. Um, a similar amount, you know, chopped off by the wall. Um, and then you have, you know, the settlements and the jurisdictional areas. You have military closed areas that, you know, arbitrarily they might use as firing zones. There's even, you know, nature reserves. And these together make up, you know, 60 to 70 percent of the West Bank, which becomes you know, completely off limits to Palestinians. Um, so it's this, this system, not just the roads themselves, but, you know, to a larger extent, the land that you can't access. And the interesting thing, I think, about going along uh, this road, I, I, I forget the name, um, that, that, that connects Bethlehem and Ramallah around Jerusalem, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it was always a kind of, it's a connection, it's, it's a number of back roads really that have been linked together. Um, but the interesting thing is there's no way you can really turn off, you know. Everything is, is, is closed on one side or the other. So really you've just got this 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 road and then a few like villages along it uh but no you know every turn off is blocked mm. uh, essentially so this you know they might lead to closed zones or settlements or, or whatever it happens to be um 
so it's not only is it this kind of long and convoluted route, but it's it's a it's a symbol of how you know the amount of the land that's been closed off that you really just have access to this narrow uh, you know, artery. Um, anyway, I think that's good. I was and just to say the other graphic uh, or, or pair of graphics that links to that is about the uh, the, the bus system or the settlement bus system, uh, which is how showing all of the bus routes that connects you know, Israeli settlements in the West Bank with uh, uh, West Jerusalem, basically. So it's, it's showing how, uh, the, the, you know, while the movement of Palestinians is completely shut down, the, the settlers can relatively easily you know, cross um, the Green Line, they can cross, which is the, the, you know, the kind of internationally recognized boundary between Israel and the West Bank. Uh, and can also cross the wall. You know, it's not that you know they don't face the same thing. They might have a tunnel under the wall. They might have just a very easy checkpoint that they can cross uh, without with very little uh, delay. Um, so you can, you know, you know, effectively the you know a lot of the settlements, especially those kind of close on one side of the wall or the other, can act as you know dormitory suburbs of, of uh, West Jerusalem, basically. So mm-hmm. it's. It's this completely different experience of basically the same space between these these two different groups of people, and uh, maybe to and, to, to and at the same you know for example at the same time you know someone in Bethlehem, you know two kilometers or four or five kilometers from Jerusalem may not have been there for fifteen years you know they may not have been able to 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 do that whereas someone else living in a settlement next door, you know it's like five minutes twice a day or something you know mm-hmm. it's yeah. And maybe to, to describe the situation to people who are not necessarily familiar with, with this, we maybe uh, uh, it's easy to believe that uh, the 500,000 settlers, uh, Israeli settlers in mm-hmm. the West Bank and East Jerusalem, are are all like uh, following the historical paradigm of the settler, which is mm-hmm. like extremely religious, extremely ideological, extremely Zionist. Actually, many of the settlers nowadays are. Are just people who wants to benefit from the the very low real estate. Uh, obviously, <laughs> since the land doesn't cost anything, as mm. uh, of the settlements. So, so, so there is an interest. There is an interest from the state of Israel to to actually normalize completely this process, so that uh, a population that might not be as ideologically mm. driven as uh, the original settlers would not feel anything wrong about this entire process, right? So, I think the the, the, the map the map of the buses. Also, because there's a little touch of humor, I would say, almost in this mm. map, in the fact that it's it's represented just the same way that uh, the the subway map of New York City or, mm. or Paris or Tokyo or whatever yeah. uh, would would be represented. So I think I think it really renders this aspect mm. of like, oh, don't worry, it's just normal stuff like that. Yeah, and I think that was slightly that was kind of intentional to to take this. You know, it, it worked. I mean, it, I guess it was it happened to work quite well that. You're able to show this thing that's such an everyday object, you know, the the, the, the transportation map, uh, and to show how everyday the situation is for, for a lot of settlers. Um, now, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, necessarily comment on the, the kind of ideological position of, of settlers. Definitely, um, you know, there's there's a there's a wide range of different reasons that people, you know, live in in settlements. But I think there's also you know, okay, this idea of, you know, the settlers carrying guns and, and living in outposts and whatever is, is a small minority probably of the, the, the settlers in the West Bank. But at the same time, I think, 
the fact that there's there's you know the, there's a, a near universal subscription to this the kind of Zionist ideology in the sense that um, you know that that uh, you know the kind of the right to colonize in a way mm-hmm. that is kind of uh, you know exhibited through through a, a, you know why a, a large majority of the population and that even those who say okay we should pull out of the the you know the West Bank um, the you know the consensus is that, that you know the, the majority of the settlers stay although you know maybe because a large proportion of the settlements are relatively close to the to the green line mm-hmm. um, but there's an assumption that they stay you know it's a it's a, it's a kind of it, that that is the uh, the consensus even with the Palestinian Authority they kind of accept mm-hmm. this which is um, so I guess we can talk about them as, as not the ideal, ideal, you know, a lot of settlers as not being the ideological ones, but also we should not, not as much, huh? because yeah, yeah, no. But I'm just saying that, that you know, to to understand what the kind of national mm-hmm. consensus is 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 not <laughs> um, particularly progressive. Let's say I mean, no. it's, yeah. So it's it's a tricky one because I think there's this, um, you know, that. There's liberal, there's liberal Zionist, and and there's uh, it's a long way from anti-Zionist, for example, is yeah. one way is one way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so now that we are we have evoked those two particular maps that are um, so talking about the, the segregation of, of uh, means of transportation, maybe we can. Uh, we can talk about other documents that Visualizing Palestine has been, uh, has been uh, uh, producing uh, in those last years. Uh, I mean, a particularly striking one and uh, definitely not humorous one in that case is, uh, is uh, it's a big, uh, it's a big uh, inventory of, of destructions and demolitions and, uh, and displacements uh, that has been, uh, uh, that Palestinians have been suffering from, mm. uh, whether in the West Bank or in Gaza, uh, in uh, in the last uh, 50 years uh, could you maybe describe to us uh, this uh, this particular document yeah so this is the one uh, the, 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 the an ongoing displacement the one that um, yeah I mean it's 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 probably it's not my favorite graphic in, in the way that it, it kind of finally came out but really the idea originally was to say there's this you know this famous uh, poster that people know which is the you know the four maps of Palestine, mm. um, and this kind of you know progressive loss of Palestinian land, um, and you know this this graphic, the, the ongoing displacement, is about saying look, there's you know trying to link that with the displacement of populations. Um, so there was that that graphic that basically you know tried to give a bit more depth to that to that original idea, and I guess places it together with quotes from um, the Zionist leaders of each of the periods of displacement um, or I mean we're also talking about or, I mean there's a con- confusion also there's the there's the, the policy of displacement graphic which is the, I guess the one we're looking at actually um, which is about the demolition of, of houses specifically um, to say that um, so this is a, a separate graphic the one basically based on figures that were collected by the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, um, that they had estimated that up to, um, I think it was 2008, 2000, 
no wait 2010 maybe um yeah i think up to 2010 there had been something like 25 a, a conservative estimate that 25,000 homes had been demolished by the israeli authorities and and the the point that they made uh, the israeli committee against house demolitions is this isn't just a policy of destruction it's a policy of displacement so it's to say that you know there's nowhere for you to live here so find somewhere else to live um so that's kind of what that graphic's about. Um, I think that one's that was probably a more successful graphic. It kind of uses the just trying to to build up this scale of you know what it means, what two, twenty five thousand homes means. Now that number actually since then has massively, massively increased. Um, I mean the the destruction in Gaza, like in in Gaza, in last July. Um, I think it's in the region of like 10,000 homes or something that was destroyed. So it's, you know, it's, it's uh, more than a third of everything that had been demolished since 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, though, though, like saying that again, that they were conservative estimates because they were based, I think their historic research was based to a large proportion on what was recorded as having been destroyed by, by the Israeli authorities. So... I mean, it's not, yeah, it, it could well have been a larger number to start with. But uh, anyway, but, but it, you can just get a feel of the kind of level of, of, of willingness to, to kind of just destroy, you know, in, in, in the present, like, political situation. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it was kind of surprising even, you know, to, to, to us as people who have kind of familiar with this kind of repetitive uh, Kind of destruction and violence that, that really what happened last summer was staggering uh, just this kind of collective punishment uh, it's it's hard to kind of comprehend like what <laughs> you know uh, in, in what under what in what reality that's something that, that's kind of acceptable uh, anyway yeah because some of, some of those I mean you just evoke the, the term of collective punishment mm. even in the West Bank and East Jerusalem there is this policy of, of home destructions not because uh, the houses would be uh, contested in the space they occupy because, mm. like it's it's, uh, it's very much the case often um, but because because uh, it would be the home of the family of someone who got arrested and or who got suspected to mm. to have a, to have a prepare or what they would define as a terrorist attack or anything, yeah. anything like that, and so, so there is this, this really uh, uh, incredible, uh, 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 very much legalized, and, and I, I think it's important we insist on the on the on the politicization of the legal system in, mm. uh, in, in the way in the way the Israeli army is doing all those operations, and uh, even in Gaza uh, for that. And so destroy destroys the home of of, of, the, of those families just as mm. as collective punishment, which seems to be completely against every principle of justice. Yeah, which is again something they brought back. So it's I mean, apart from this massive destruction in Gaza, you have, I mean, what you always they called administrative demolitions in the in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem, and actually to, there's a there's a into a large 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 extent in uh, Israel itself, you know, within. Uh, Particularly in the in the Negev in the south, mm. you know, there's massive. Uh, the Bedouin population. The Bedouin population, yeah, that, that, uh, but not just there. In, in you know other you know, Palestinian communities in, in uh, Israel, the the level of destruction from year to year can be much larger than, than mm. it is in 
the West Bank called Gaza. Um, Visual in Palestine didn't do a, a graphic about the pro pro plan actually. No, we we haven't we we haven't actually done anything on that. Yeah. Um, now the pro plan is uh, you know for the displacement of um, Bedouin communities basically in in the Negev. Um, now it's I mean in th in theory it's on hold at the moment mm. because there was such a kind of I mean a, quite effective uh, resistance to it. Um, and I think also, you know, it kind of embarrasses certain liberal communities as to, as to what what's going on. Uh, now, it's I don't it's not been cancelled or anything, but it's it's certainly at this at this moment in time it's on hold. And there's some uh, incredible stories at the moment coming from like uh, the community Rahat, which is one of these kind of I don't know what you call them concentration towns, basically. And it was one that apparently wasn't. Um, You know, I, I don't know these stories so well, but uh, apparently it was one that was has, had always kind of had an entente, like uh, with the Israeli authorities, you know. But but the way they were kind of treated after, you know, the, the kind of effectively accidental killing of, of someone in in this police raid, you know, Israeli police raid on the town, um, you know, the, the and then the ensuing funeral, the kind of the way that it was um, dealt with by, you know, like riot police, even though it was agreed not, and then another person gets killed, and then suddenly, you know, there's this kind of complete breaking of ties with the, the Israeli authorities. So it's, you know, the, the for, I think always have been treated, in effect, like this kind of alien population that, that's, you know, almost colonizers of the land or <laughs> their, their own historic uh, mm. uh, land, you know. So it's it's a very uh, strange um, thing. That, yeah. Maybe. So so, and so the purpose of that was just to say that you know these policies of displacement, destruction, whatever, are not limited just to uh, the occupied. Mm -hmm. It's 1967 occupied mm -hmm. territory. So uh, maybe we can talk about one last graphic about uh, specifically Palestine, and then we'll we'll maybe broaden it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Bit. But uh, it seems it seems like uh, it's it became one of your key uh, uh, production, and I, I saw it I saw it in your office and everything. So I suppose you 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 do like it. It's a it's a Central Park uh, uprooted. Mm. Uh, so a sort of a sort of, a sort of um, transposition of the, the amount of olive trees that's been uprooted from Palestinian uh, agricultural land. Uh, transposed to the to the to to Manhattan and uh, Central Park in particular to kind mm -hmm. of show the the effect of it. Could you maybe tell us about that? Yeah. So just I mean, first to say that you know it's uh, the estimate of eight uh, hundred olive trees uprooted uh, by Israeli authorities in the West Bank and Gaza since nineteen sixty seven, and it's based on. Um, a calculation by the Applied Research Institute Jerusalem or Arish um, who basically I, I, I believe went through the process of you know surveying the land you know which used to be olive groves <laughs> and figuring out you know what what the density is and, and you know figuring out that that amounted to in the region of um, 800,000 olive trees And of a total of, they, they, they estimated around 2.5 million trees of all kinds that have been uh, uprooted. So around a third olive tree, of those are olive trees. Um, 
and then we we were looking at various ways of showing that I mean talking about the, the kind of the economic loss the kind of um, you know the importance of the olive harvest both economically and symbolically in, in uh, Palestine and how people you know so many families are connected with that even through you know small holdings of land or families and how many people are involved in the olive harvest every year even if they don't rely economically on it um, so there are lots of ways of looking at that but one was just to try and understand again and it's similar in a way to the the destruction of homes, understanding the scale of that number, um, and so at eight hundred thousand, uh, we started looking at uh, different parks around the world and how how many trees they have in them, um, and probably or possibly the most kind of iconic park, definitely for people in the West, is uh, New York Central Park. It's kind of become this this kind of icon of um, I guess um, you know the through American entertainment or whatever it's become this kind of very uh, you know universally known in in the, in the West um, and and it has twenty four thousand trees in it um, which is one uh, one over thirty three of the, of eight hundred thousand trees so you'd have to uproot Central Park all of the trees in Central Park thirty three times to reach the the number of olive trees uprooted since nineteen sixty seven. Um, and really, this was something that, that kind of, uh, you know, Rumsey was was the person in the team who was saying, "Look, let's let's show what does it look like if Central Park was uprooted." Um, so that that was kind of the starting point, and it's uh, this was the result. Um, and I think that there there are these ways. I mean, trying to find these these kind of well known or, I mean, I guess it it works best with a with a U.S. audience, less so with a the local audience um, but finding these things that people can relate to I mean we did try to do something similar with um, uh, there's, there's a graphic not enough water in the West Bank and it starts with the, the, the fact that um, you know the rainfall in Ramallah uh, in terms of the number of millimetres that falls per year is the same or even slightly higher than, than London which is kind of universally almost known as this kind of very rainy you know, the, the capital of the, this kind of rainy, dreary country. Um, so it's this kind of entry point that allows you to, to, to kind of, you know, connect with people to understand, you know, the scale of an issue or the, you know, the, what would it mean for you kind of mm. um, to, to have this much rainfall but not to have access to enough water. Which is always a little bit problematic in, uh, in the, the transposition. I mean, it seems to be like a, a new form of, uh, I don't know if it's new, but at least a quite developed form now of sensitization of the Western population, which is which is like, what what if it happened to you? Like yeah, yeah, like totally. You, the only way you could potentially prove of empathy would be if you managed to, to uh, transpose transpose these events to your own person but uh, mm. but I suppose it, it's part of in, in your case it's very much part of your effort to defund the the US aid to uh, the Israeli occupation yeah I mean it's it, it is problematic because I I kind of want to think we can we can we can talk um, at a slightly higher level than, than saying you know Palestinians are human by the way you know <laughs> but it feels like that's basically what you're saying is when you're saying imagine if this happened to you it's saying you don't really think these people are human, you know. I mean, and it's it's not just Palestinians. I mean, there's there's all kinds of you know groups around the world that that are kind of considered lesser, depending by 
which you know group you're talking to. So it is a bit. I feel like it's you know, on such a, a kind of low base level that you're you're communicating to say that you know. Uh, you know, all you're trying to communicate is that Palestinians are human. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, as I was saying earlier, maybe uh, now would be a good time to, uh, to to talk about the work that you've been producing, maybe uh, um, outside of Palestine, but also, I mean, it's very easy to see how uh, all those issues are connected somehow. Mm -hmm. but maybe, uh, maybe a good example of a document, uh, Visualizing Impact, has been producing... Uh, to talk about that would be um, uh, the the mediatic the mediatic description uh, throughout uh, a few decades of uh, of someone like Nelson Mandela mm -hmm. and how uh, maybe our generation has has not really gone through the the sort of uh, evilization process of of Nelson Mandela but maybe mm -hmm. the generation of our parents did. Uh, yeah. In uh, in uh, in the sense that now, uh, and especially now that he, he he's dead, uh, everybody uh, talks about him as a as a hero and and a defender of human rights and uh, all those things. But basically, the the Western press has been has been extremely. Uh, uh, I've been describing him uh, th throughout the the apartheid uh, the against apartheid struggle. As as uh, with very similar words that we 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 hear now uh, uh, to describe many people in the world. I mean, where the, obviously the 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 word of terrorist always come back as a as a mm. sort of very easy label to to just scare uh, scare people. So, yeah. uh, could you maybe tell us about that, and then we'll I guess we'll we'll talk yeah. in general of the prospect of uh, visualizing impact after that. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I guess the 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 graphic on Nelson Mandela was kind of a bit of a one-off really so um, I mean in general you know what we're trying to do through visualizing impact now is is to uh, engage with specific issues or, or contexts so um, so Palestine was was kind of both a geography and a cause I guess you, you can understand it in both of those ways and and basically the idea is to, to engage uh, with partners um, who have this kind of very engaged knowledge of a particular context or a subject or an issue and also have an audience um, that they're communicating with and would value uh, infographics to, to, to you know, expand on that cause. Um, so to say in the same way that we've worked on the issue of Palestine, we could, we could provide the same kind of uh, content on, on other, you know, whether local or global issues or causes. Um, the specific uh, issue of Nelson Mandela, um, I guess it was something we were, we were kind of testing the water on, looking at you know, one-off graphics on, on, on kind of issues of global interest at that, at that time. So it's not necessarily representative of the work we're, we're continuing to do now. Um, but basically the concept of that graphic Uh, was this idea that um, you know in the long view of history um, you know that, that uh, a figure like Nelson Mandela is seen as a you know a kind of global statesman uh, you know he's deified basically uh, even during his lifetime um, which is almost which is more unusual um, but definitely you know, you know since his death um, and then uh, 
but at the same time, you know, that before he was kind of, you know, allowable in the, this kind of mainstream, um, I don't know how you would describe it, uh, the, the, the kind of mainstream Western discourse found him kind of acceptable or found to a point where, you know, he, he was the person who you know, had the, the authority in a way that up until that point he's this kind of dangerous character part of this kind of uh, yeah terrorist network or whatever that um, uh, and yet he himself you go back to you know 1960s I think it was 1961 1963 when he was first uh, jailed for, for his involvement in uh, you know militant activities he, he said himself that, you know, that uh, you may call me a terrorist, but, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, in the long view, uh, you know, that the, these activities won't be seen as uh, terrorism. They'll be seen as, you know, part of the struggle for freedom. And I think that that, is, that in itself is very, you know, it's, it's obviously kind of prophetic in his case. Um, but it's reflective of a lot of... Um, people you know nowadays who are still maybe seen as terrorists or in the in the kind of realm of that now um you know it's the, it's the, it's the classic one you know it's one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter uh, now you know not all <laughs> situations everywhere in the world are necessarily identical but uh, but certainly you know the, the, there's a there's a strong um uh historical parallel between Palestine and South Africa mm. um, which was obviously part of the reason we were interested in Mandela as a figure as well um, and I think he himself said it that at some point in the early 2000s I think that you know the, the freedom of South Africa or our freedom isn't complete without the freedom of Palestinians mm. I think in, on the occasion of the, the international the day of Palestinian solidarity which is I think 29th of November so it was in at some event there he, he made that statement quite clearly Desmond um, Tutu as well has been oh Desmond Tutu much, much more so yeah. yeah I mean he's he's incredibly I mean I think kind of in retirement now but he has been incredibly active on the you know the Palestinian solidarity scene internationally um, involved in things like the you know the Russell Tribunal on Palestine um, you know, very strong advocate of uh, boycott, divestment, sanctions. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he's he's kind of yeah. You could probably find a hundred statements by Desmond Tutu on the Palestinian cause. Um, so I think that was a, that was another reason that the you know there's and the, the, you know people make you know, continually the apartheid analogy of uh, uh, you know Palestine or historic Palestine, Palestine, Israel, Palestine, as we were discussing before today. And it's not, you know, it's not the same situation as, as South Africa. The, you know, the, the population balance is different. The, you know, there was, you know, in, in South Africa, there was a strong uh, reliance on, the, on the, 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 the black population and, you know, as labor for the white population, which isn't, isn't the same in Palestine. But the, this kind of structural idea and the, and the crime of apartheid as defined by... Um, by the UN, uh, you know, does apply in large parts to, to, to what's happening. And, and as, you know, I think various South African figures have said, including Desmond Tutu, that 
you know, some of the things that are happening are, are much worse than they, mm-hmm. they, they even reached under apartheid in South Africa. Actually, on Bay as well, has been writing about that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's also, I mean, Ronnie Kastril's the, the, the former ANC uh, minister who's been very active also on the cause, I think. Um, yeah, so, so, so that's, I mean, on that specific graphic. And in terms of, you know, where we're going with, with, um, visualizing impact in general, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, we're kind of at a crossroads. We're trying, we're expanding both in, in terms of the, the types of content we're producing, um, where the, where the kind of core, um, driving, uh, Kind of driving idea of you know using you know visual media uh, for you know social or, or social justice impact um, is kind of driving it, but it's not necessarily just static infographics, and and you know like I said, we're looking also at partnerships. How can we share you know what what we've tried to develop for, for this particular geography and cause for other you know issues and um, the one main project that's active at the moment is on Egypt um, so it's another you know geographic based project um, where we're partnering with uh, Madda Masr which uh, is one of the one of the few uh, alternative media projects that's active on the ground in Egypt um, they're still able to operate um, and you know basically producing content you know, relevant to to uh, um, yeah to the situation in Egypt basically um, starting with the, specifically with the issue of media freedom um, and producing uh, a handful of graphics on, on that one issue um, and then you know potentially expanding beyond that, but that's definitely the starting point. Um, but you know each each issue in each context and each geography has its own very specific uh, points. Um, and another one you know we're, we're we're talking with people about is 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 Syria, another kind of geographic one. Um, but it's you know the issues are very very different to. To Palestine, where I was saying at the beginning, you know, the situation is kind of very static and, and you know, almost painfully predictable uh, that, that's been going on for, you know, like I say, a hundred years. Whereas uh, in Syria, you know, there's this, you know, things happening, you know, atrocities on a, on a, on a vast scale. Um, but, you know, it's the, the, the kind of challenges of, you know, how do you provide, um, you know, visual content that, that is kind of valuable to communities who are working um, you know for um, you know for, for peace for justice for um, you know to, to build a strong civil society should you know the conflict itself um, you know settle down that it's not just a a kind of um, you know doesn't just end in an agreement between the you know the kind of the most violent parties involved you know or the complete breakup of the country or whatever it happens to be so 
um, you know, the, the strongest element is, uh, you know, strengthening the voices of, of you, know, you know, civil society, basically, and uh, uh, that's the big, it seems to be the big challenge a lot of people are working on, um, against the backdrop of, you know, I don't know, Western intervention of, uh, you know, um, of, you know, invent, uh, intervention of other states in this region, Everyone just trying to, to kind of, you know, not necessarily, you know, with, with, with what, I don't know, with what intention, but, but basically contributing to the violence and contributing to the, to the instability, you know. Um, and obviously there's the regime there that's, that's been, you know, the most, you know, has, has kind of, you know, killed the most out of anyone up to, up to date, you know, so... You know, where do you start in terms of you know who's the good guys and who's the bad guys? So it's really about you know, just amplifying the voices of people who want to you know find a uh, you know better future. Basically, I know it's kind of cliche, but uh, so those are the kind of challenges there. But it's it's a it's a much more complex um, and evolving kind of context to, to to work with. So we'll we'll see where that goes. We haven't kind of you know firmly. Uh, committed to anything but that's definitely what we're looking at mm. well and I think that a better future is only a cliche for people who are have the luxury to think of it as a cliche and not for people who, who are who are starving exactly. to, to have their neck, yeah. their the tomorrow being slightly better than today so yeah I think I think that's it as well it's, it's you know the, the language can have a different meaning so So people talk about, you know, peace in Syria. It's like a serious thing that people are working for. Whereas in Palestine, it's become like a, a kind of dirty word almost, you know, because peace has come to mean normalization of, <laughs> of, the, of the situation and, and calling it to like a solution to the, to, to the conflict. But in reality, it's, yeah, it's, it's just kind of pacification. It's, uh, you know, trying to rubber stamp, you know, the colonization that's happened up to date. And so, so if you talk with Palestinians about the idea of peace, it's like, it's like, you can't even use that word, you know, yeah. it's not. Um, well, that authorizes us to finish with a quote by Spinoza who says that peace is not merely the absence of war. So that's, mm. that's, that's a good Exactly, yeah. Thank you so much, Ahmed, and uh, best of luck to Visualizing Impact and its uh, future project. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks, Philip.